Welcome back to the channel. I'm so thrilled you returned to dig into another episode of Ask, where we ask, seek, and knock to find answers to our questions, but from Scripture. I'm your host, Mike Russell. I am thrilled that you have returned. I know it's been a bit uh, since I've posted last. Um, we're going to be talking about what is evangelism. Now, we could probably get away with about a five-minute um, little post if we just simply read a, de a definition of what evangelism is, but you know how I roll. I want to go into a little bit more uh, depth for the passage to uh, really help us understand from Scripture what evangelism really entails. What does it mean? Okay, So when we talk about evangelism, we can you know, pull into just um, sharing something with others. But within that, we could uh, ask the question, what is it for? Uh, who's responsible for, for doing it? Uh, how do we do it? Those, those types of things. And I want to go into those. And, uh, you know, for starters, I want to uh, help give us a more formal definition for it. But then I want to pull out of Scripture and uh, we're going to set the stage on the first couple of passages, and then we're going to look at the passage that really struck me, really started the, you know, um, motivation to do this particular uh, segment of Ask. So let's get into the definition of what evangelism is. We're going to be looking at Baker Bible Dictionary uh, and a basic definition, as you see here, to evangelize is to proclaim the good news of the victory of God's salvation. Now, we'll develop that a little bit more. It goes on, evangelism is the noun denoting that activity. This biblical concept is expressed through a Hebrew verb, basar, and a Greek verb and noun, euangelizo, and euangelion. Euangelion. Euangelion is normally translated gospel, denoting the content of the good news. But it can also be a noun of action, describing the activity of telling of that good news. So, good news, the good, good news, what is the good news that we're talking about? The gospel that we're talking about. Well, the good news is this. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, which we will touch on in, in the passages that we look at today, because of Adam and Eve's sin, all mankind is sinful and spiritually dead and, in fact, without hope on their own. Though God established rituals and, and uh, uh, you know, things to do for sacrificial offerings and so on to atone for their sin— it never satisfied. That's why over and over they do it over and over again. Whereas there is something special that the born-again Christian celebrates, and that is the good news that we're talking about. Because we're sinners in need of a Savior and we cannot save ourselves, we need someone, some someone out there to save us. We're dead spiritually. We cannot even react spiritually speaking, because we're dead. So God sent his son to live the perfect human life, not born of a man, but born of a virgin, 
born of God, lived the perfect life and represented us as our great high priest before the Father. And instead of bringing a sacrificial lamb, like a, like a goat or a lamb sacrificed and brought into the Holy of Holies to offer to God, he himself became the sacrifice, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He became the sacrifice, the propitiation that paid off the debt that mankind owed God. Then the gospel message is now offered to us. Do you believe that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that there's only one, that is Jesus Christ, who paid the debt perfectly and proved it by coming back from the dead, breaking the bondage of sin and death, and made that offer free to us, to you and I? Do you believe that? And Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord and you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, he really did. He broke the power of sin and death. You will be saved. What a, what a positive, hope-filled thing that we have. So evangelism is that method of bringing that good news out. But I want to build on that a little bit more. There's so much more to it than that. I'm going to start us in Matthew's gospel. At the end, Matthew 28, Jesus has already died and risen from the dead. He stayed around earth, on earth, for about 40 days, visiting the different uh, disciples, groups at a time, sometimes individuals, whatever. And this is now just before he ascends into heaven, about the end of that 40 days. We pick up in Matthew's gospel. It's the very end of his gospel. And we read uh, verse 17. When they saw him, Jesus, when the apostles saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. This is known as the Great Commission because, in fact, it applies to all of us. I've been commissioned to go into all nations and make disciples of all men. It's not my job to go into every single solitary nation and make every solitary man a, a disciple. But I partake in that mission, just like you should. We all that, that call ourselves Christians, truly born again, should engage in this. This is our calling. Now, granted, not everyone is called to be an evangelist or a pastor or a missionary and things like that, but we are all called to evangelize our family, our neighbors, our friends, our people we just become acquainted with, strangers, because this is such good news. This is hope that we are not going to die and go to hell. We have a Savior, and he has loved us so much that he gave his, only li his own life. And, and he wants to offer that life to you and me. And do you believe? Powerful, powerful. We're going to be looking at another passage in the book of Acts. Now, Matthew is just before the ascension. The book of Acts documents the ascension. And we pick it up in verse 8. Verse 8. 
And Jesus is telling them about one that would come once he ascends into heaven. The Father is sending the Spirit, the Comforter. And he talks about what's going to happen there in verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then after that, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So you will be my witnesses. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered, made alive, and you will be my witnesses. Now, when you think of a witness, it brings you to the courtroom, doesn't it? And some witnesses will be against the perpetrator, and some witnesses might be in defense of the perpetrator, for example. So a witness gives testimony. They represent what they know, what they saw, what they experienced. That's a witness. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth, I'm God. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. And he, just before he ascends, he says, the Holy Spirit will come and give you power. And you will be my witnesses to what has happened. The good news. So we're going to be digging into this good news of evangelism. This, this good, great opportunity, this, this blessed opportunity called evangelism. And I'm hoping that we will really embrace it. I know some of you are nervous and they just don't like, oh, I just don't know how to do it. And I don't know these passages like you do, Mike, and all this these are excuses. Number one, Scripture tells us in the, the book of Acts, there's a you know warning the Spirit gives them that when you are dragged before governors and things like that, don't prepare in advance what you're going to say because the Spirit of God will give you the words to speak at that moment. Well, I would argue the same thing, that if you are going out and sharing the gospel with a motive that's pure, that I'm here to tell you about my Lord and Savior because I care about you, because you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's not my religion or my church or anything like that. It's God and what he has done. And this is the antidote to sin and death. This is it. The antidote to sin and death. Why would we not want to tell people about it? But in fact, we know that the world is going to hate us because of Christ. The good news that we know is good news is not necessarily good news to the lost and dying. It is by the grace of God that they hear that good news, are quickened in their heart, and they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's what we pray. Before we even say anything, pray, Lord, give us the words to speak. Father, give us the words to speak. Enable me to reach this person. And I pray you soften their heart. And open their ears and their eyes to hear and see what you have revealed to me and that what you have done. That should be our prayer. So let us get into the passage that really kind of knocked me and really drove me to get into this passage or this uh, study here on our segment of Ask. We're going to be picking it up in Romans chapter 16. This is a letter written to the church in Rome by Paul, the Apostle Paul. This is at the very end of that book, that letter, uh, the last chapter. And we pick up in verse 17 here. And Paul writes, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have heard, learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Now listen to this. This is so powerful. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What? I thought Satan was going to be crushed by the Son or by the Anointed One or by the coming Messiah. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that passage out of Genesis chapter 3 to, to really make sense of what I'm talking about. Let's go right here to Genesis chapter 3. If you recall, Genesis 3 documents the fall where Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and immediately realized their eyes were open and they realized they sinned. God walks in the cool of the day and they are hiding from God and they have a dialogue and Adam confesses that we ate from the tree you told us not to eat from. And there's a blame game going on, and then God starts throwing down the curses, the punishment. And he starts with the serpent. And we pick up in verse 14, and it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Man, some powerful, powerful language in that passage. And I know many times I say that, but man, there is so much good stuff in Scripture. We need to read it regularly, daily, throughout the day if opportunity provides itself. Daily consuming God, depending on God, trusting God, learning about God. This is just essential for our solid, healthy walk. So the passage says, verse five, uh, 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Okay. We can stop there and say, who are Satan's offspring, the serpent's offspring? We could say demons. We could even say non-believers. Scripture refers to the non-believing world as Satan as their father. So we can make the argument it is definitely demons and such, but also non-believers. So then, in context, who would be the woman's offspring? Now, we can make the argument that, that it definitely includes us as born-again believers. It could include us as humans, but 
keep in mind there's a distinction between the believing community and the non-believing community. And if Satan is the father of the non-believing community, then the woman, in contrast, would be a type of the believing community. But we know very clearly, looking back at the passage, that he, as we see right here in 5b, he will crush your head. Now, keep in mind, God is speaking to the serpent. So he's telling the serpent, the offspring of her, the woman, which is Eve in context, will crush your head. Now, this he is singular. It's not many he's. It's one he. And we know the one he who would crush Satan's head and his work and, and destroy him is the anointed one, the Messiah, and that is Christ. However, when you contrast her offspring and his offspring, you could make a case that that offspring includes believers. But the one who crushes his head clearly seems to be the anointed one, the Messiah, who ultimately is Christ. Okay? But is this all... How do we make sense of this? We have no doubt Christ crushes Satan's head. But let's look at our passage that we want to look at for today. And that passage is in Romans chapter 16. Remember it says... I'm going to just pick it up at the end there. God, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. Now we talked, Genesis says, the seed, he will crush your head. But here in Romans, it says, this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And he's speaking to the Roman church. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Roman church. But all of the letters that Paul wrote, you know, Ephesians, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Philippians, Romans, were written to be circulated throughout the churches. So we see them today. So it's talking to us as the church. We, under our feet. Hmm. Wow. So we've, we've level set in Genesis chapter 3 that the curse that God gave Satan was that the seed of the woman, he, will crush your head. We see in this Roman or this uh, Romans passage, Romans 16, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Let us move into a passage in Revelation. Now, don't lose your mind on me. We're going to look at Revelation, uh, and I think you will find that... This is going to really speak volumes. You're going to really grow in your understanding of the passage. Uh, I'm going to start us off in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to read this to get context of the passage. So we'll start in verse 1. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads 
and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman which was, uh, who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child the moment it is born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his, his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And, a loud, uh, and then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you, and he is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. What a passage. <laughs> what a passage of Scripture. Now, we are going to take some time, because quite frankly, some of these uh, with a lot of allegory or figurative speech or symbolism. Uh, these passages, they are just flat tough. And we need to be very careful not simply to dismiss them or to simply try to apply some literal interpretation with them because they just don't fit. But we also need to be cautious not to spiritualize beyond what we should. There's a theological term called exegesis, which means to pull out of the passage what's there. And there's a contrasting term called eisegesis, which is to read into the passage what is not there. We do not want to eisegete the passage. We want to exegete it, get out of it what's there. And we do that, obviously, through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through Scripture. And we will do that, God willing. So let's get back into the passage and I'm going to start, off, start us up here at the top and kind of break down the different characters that we see here. Uh, I'm going to start with the dragon because it's much more clear in the passage. So right here we talk, uh, it first introduces us to this another sign that appears in heaven, this enormous dragon. Well, after the war breaks out in heaven down here, we see that Michael, the archangel, is fighting the dragon. And we see how, uh, who that dragon is right here in verse 9. It says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. So we clearly see from the passage who the devil is or the dragon is. The dragon is the devil. 
So now, as we read back in the front part of this passage, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Okay, well, who is this woman? Well, she was pregnant and was crying out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared, this dragon. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. What on earth is that talking about? <laughs> Seems a little gross, but here's this woman. I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm speculating is in a birth posture, ready to give birth. And this dragon appears out of heaven and basically seems to be sitting between her legs, waiting for this baby to be delivered so he can kill it. That's what the passage says. That's what we want to dissect, what we want to get, you know, find out. What is it telling us here? So, verse 5. So, we know the intent. 4b tells us so that the devil can devour her child the moment it was born. Now, verse 5 says she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Let's stop right there for a moment. This child will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. I'm going to take you to a passage, if I don't take too long to find it. It is in... Um, Psalm chapter 2, uh, we're going to start in verse 6, and we read, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will procla uh, proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession." Now listen to this verse 9. You will break them with a rod of iron and will dash them to pieces like pottery. So here's a connection. It's not a perfect word-for-word -word connection, but a connection about ruling the nations and, and with an iron scepter, with, with an iron rod. Okay? And in this psalm, we see... The father say, you are my son, today I've become your father. So we, we see a connection here. This, uh, if we go back to the Romans passage, I'm sorry, it wasn't Romans, it was Revelation. If we get back to the Revelation passage, Revelation 12, we see here, they fought and the child was snatched up to God. Woman fled into the desert, uh, one verse above. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who would rule the nations with an iron scepter. Okay, so we feel confident that the son that Satan wanted to kill is Jesus. The one who's going to rule the nations with an iron scepter, which we saw in our psalm passage. There's a few others that make reference similar to that. However, Unlike the true historical narrative of Christ's life, where he was born of a virgin and 
grew up and when he was 30 he started his earthly ministry and 33 and a half ish is when he's crucified and then he rises uh, ascends arises from the dead and then ascends into heaven this one seems to be like birth and then boop up into heaven so clearly we're not seeing a day by day moment by moment account outlined here we're seeing a high level summary of what happened so we have identified the serpent or the dev, the dragon who is Satan. Uh, we feel confident in the, the son who is snatched up to heaven, which is Christ. So who's the woman? Now we could argue the woman is Mary. However, we see a few things about this that, that seem to be odd. For example, uh, the the woman uh, the child is born and snatched away, but the woman flees into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for a period of time. Again, I caution about the literal trying to understand this literally, but this woman represents more than just Mary. This woman, remember at the very top, she's clothed with the sun. I think that's a type or a symbolism of Christ, the son S-O-N, who uh, the son S-U-N is a type of the true son S-O-N, uh, who gives light to the world, who gives life to the world, and so on. Whereas the moon is under her feet. Well, the moon, we know it is the ball of planetary matter that reflects the light of the sun. Well, in a symbolic way, that's what the church is. The church reflects the light of the sun. We know from John's gospel that in the sun is light, and that light is the life of men. So he's the light of the world. But Jesus himself says of the church in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. What, what is going on here? I thought, I thought you were the light of the world, Jesus. He is. He's the light of the world, but we partake in that light when we are born again. The Spirit of God dwells within us, and we become that light to the world. He's tarrying in heaven, and we are here on earth. And we'll get to some passages that pull this together. So this war breaks out. The devil is thrown out of heaven. And he's no longer going to be able to tell on the brothers and sisters, accusing them. Well, why not? Verse 10 tells us, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Okay. What has come? What has happened? Well, the son was snatched up to heaven. Satan was cast down to earth. The woman is off in the wilderness being protected. I also want to point out that this is very much similar to what really happened in Genesis, Exodus, beg your pardon, with Israel. When Israel was enslaved under Egypt, God sent Moses in, let my people go. The 10th plague, if you recall, was the death of the firstborn. And Israel was told to take a lamb, slaughter it, take some of the blood, put it over your doorpost, and when the angel of death comes by, he will pass over your house because of the blood of the lamb. 
That literally happened, but all of that is a type pointing to the true lamb, the true lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that those who are covered by the blood of the lamb will not die. They will be spared from death. Okay, just like the blood of the literal lambs covering the doorposts saved them from death, the true Lamb of God, for those who believe, would be covered and saved from eternal death. What a powerful passage. So this passage here in Revelation is saying that. Now has come the salvation. Remember, the baby was born and then snatched up to heaven. Well, in context, Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and went up to heaven. Satan was right there to kill him, but it didn't work. Didn't work, did it? It didn't work because he's God, God the Son, and he was perfect, and he was able to pay the full debt, the propitiation of the debt. And because of that, he was able to come back to life and prove that death has no power over him because he's God, and he paid the debt off fully. So he doesn't just die and go into the ground and rot like we do unless we're born again. Though our bodies will rot, our soul will be made alive and then we will be given a new body, imperishable, when he returns. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we get back to the passage. So this, this idea of being the sun is snatched up to heaven, as it says in in. Uh, she gave birth to a son in verse 5 here, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter, and the child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And we know that's where Jesus is now, seated on the throne of God, ruling. And we are down here, dare I say, in the wilderness. Just as Israel after they were freed from slavery, after the Lamb of God, or the, the Lamb was sacrificed and the angel of death went over and passed over them, and then Pharaoh said, get out, just get the heck out. Well, where did God take them? Take them he took them into the wilderness. Now, their, their ultimate goal was the promised land, just like your and my ultimate goal as born-again believers is the true promised land, which is eternal heaven bliss with God. Okay, But in the meantime, we tarry in the wilderness, a place prepared by God for us. Let's get back to the passage. So it says in 10b, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accused them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him. They. Who are the they? Clearly, if you read the sentence above, the brothers and sisters are accused by Satan or the devil day and night, but he's been hurled down. So they triumph, triumph over him, the devil. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is powerful. <laughs> we have no doubt that if it wasn't for the blood of the Lamb, if it wasn't for the Messiah, 
coming to earth, living the perfect life, representing us, mankind, as our Lord and Savior, dying on the cross, paying that debt. Scripture tells us the only way to pay off a uh, sin is through blood, and that's what he did. But he broke the power of sin and death by coming back to life, proving that he is God, that he paid it off. Okay? So by the blood of the Lamb, no problem. But then it goes on and says, and by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. Euangelion. Euangelios. Speaking the good news. Powerful, powerful passage. We can tie this all together in a passage Paul gives us in his second letter to the Corinthians. Um, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we will read it now, um, starting in verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, that is, that is just overwhelming. We have the responsibility, the, the right, the privilege of bringing the message of hope, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. Evangelism. It isn't just for the apostles. It's for all of us. Remember, this letter was written to the Corinthian church. Remember, the Romans letter was written to the Roman church. And all of these letters were designed to be circulated to all the churches because the message is for us. And in God's plan, he so desired to use us. We've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. How do we reconcile people back to God? That is the bottom line. Christ did the work on the cross. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It is through that that we go out into this dark, dead, lost world by God's grace and through his power and the moving of the Holy Spirit as we speak out the good news. The Spirit of God will quicken those that are called and they will hear that gospel, recognize their sin, repent of their sin, cry out to their Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, to be saved. And in so doing, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, born again, made new, just like this passage says, new creations, 
and then entrusted with that good news, the testimony of their mouth that I was a dead sinner and Christ died for me and made me alive. That's my testimony. That's the good news. I, I hope this has served to encourage you despite the little blunders here and there. I also hope you enjoyed the new formatting. Uh, it will make my job a little bit easier on post-production, but moreover, I hope it gives you more of a seamless and a bigger picture um, view of the passages we're looking at. I hope it wasn't distracting. Uh, I'd love to hear a comment from you down below. Let me know. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the channel, please subscribe. And as I post new posts, you should be notified. Hit the little bell icon. And like the, like the episode or thumbs down if you don't like it. And uh, give me some feedback. You can also write me at uh, we can't keep silent at gmail.com or ask we can't keep silent at gmail.com. Um, I am considering uh, praying about, and I covet your prayers about starting a website that I can also be posting stuff to um, and making a, another avenue. Uh, we do have the podcast, uh, I do have the YouTube channel, um, and I covet your prayers to continue to fight the fight and push past the difficulties and challenges that I've dealt with, um, both spiritually and uh, maybe more tangibly here, um, to bring these episodes to you. Uh, if they are of value to you, I'd really appreciate a little little comment or, or something to give me some feedback. And until the next time where we ask, seek, and knock once again, I encourage you, hang in there and be blessed.